Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. John Hancock uh, was from Massachusetts, actually from Boston. He was a very, very wealthy shipping in the shipping industry. Um, involved in local politics and, and at the time of the Revolutionary War. But probably what he's known best for, as far as his roles goes, he was the president of the Second Continental Congress from 1975 to 1975. 1775 to 1777, which was the time of the writing of the Declaration of Independence. So he oversaw, as the president of that Congress, uh, the, the uh, creation, the writing of, and the dissemination of the Declaration of Independence. And Declaration of Independence is a pretty amazing document. If you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you, go back and, and read it. Um, but what he's probably known mostly for when it comes to the Declaration of Independence is his what? His signature, that's right, John Hancock's signature. It is right there, this is the first signature after the Declaration, it is the biggest signature. And, and it made sense for his signature to be there because he was the president of the Congress that did it and so he signed it first and everybody else signed it afterwards. And this is the way he signed his, pay, his uh, signature all the time, big and flourishing or flowery. So that's, it was normal for him. But what we see here is his signature is the most prominent one, isn't it? Of all the signatures. 55 other people signed this. But which signature have you seen and recognized and know? John Hancock's. In fact, his signature has become almost synonymous with just the word signature itself. If, if we had a piece of paper and said, hey, we need your John Hancock here, would you know what I was talking about? Yes, you would, right? Because it's, uh, it's come to mean a signature, very, very famous signature. So even though there are many other signatures there, his is the most prominent, the one that stands out far and above all the others. And today we're going to be talking about a, a signature, another signature that uh, we want to see have prominence as well. And uh, it'll all make sense to you in a little while here. Last week we finished up, we were talking about David, and we, we saw this, the, the worst time of David's life. We saw him struggle with the deceptiveness and this destructiveness of sin, uh, all the problems that came into his life because of it. Uh, so since that time, 19 years has passed, and David has come to the end of his life, and, and as he dies, and by the way, he handled that last 19 years very, very well, even all the problems, walked with the Lord through that live like a man who was forgiven because he was. Um, and 19 years, he comes to the end of his life and he passes on his kingdom to his son, Solomon. Okay? And Solomon begins his reign. Uh, now, what is Solomon best known for? What? His wisdom. That's right. His great wisdom. And... Um, we do see that, and we're going to look a little bit at some things that the Bible says about that. But his wisdom was just amazing. One of the first stories that they tell us about his wisdom uh, was that there were two mothers who both had babies. They lived in the same house, and they had two uh, new babies three days apart. Okay, one had her baby, and then another three days later had her baby. 
And just in, in like that first week or so, one of these mothers having the baby with them in bed slept and suffocated the baby. And the baby died. And she woke up and realized it. And she went and changed, traded her baby for the living one. And took the living one. And the other mother wakes up and finds the baby dead and believes her baby. And all of a sudden she looks at this baby and says, wait a minute, this isn't my baby. And she realizes what's happened. So this dispute makes its way all the way up to Solomon. You know, the, the real mother's saying this is, she has my baby. You know, and they tell the story to Solomon, you know, one died and the guy switched and the other one says, no, 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 it's her baby. That'll get your attention, won't it? Hang on here a second, let me see if I can do something about that. There we go. So she says, no, 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 it was her baby that died, not mine, and you know, how are we gonna decide this? And how would you decide that, right? Well, Solomon has this wisdom from God and Solomon knows something here. Solomon knows that selfishness, well, first of all, Solomon knows one of these women is being extremely selfish, right? One of these women is being extremely selfish and he doesn't know which one it is, but he realizes that one of them is willing to claim a baby that isn't theirs even at the expense of the other mother. Very selfish. Solomon knows that selfishness hardens the heart. See, that's wisdom, understanding that, that when we're selfish, that hardens the heart. He also knew that when we're, our hearts are hardened, that morals get twisted. What's right and wrong gets twisted up. And so Solomon decides to do a test that will reveal who is selfish here, okay? And so that's what he says, if you remember the story, right? He says, okay, bring a sword in here. Bring a sword, we're gonna divide the baby with half to you and half to you. And I'm like, I'm done dealing with this, just cut the baby in half and, and give him. And of course, obviously, the mother of the child, the real mother immediately says, what? No, let her have him, let her have the baby. And the other one's like, yeah, okay, yeah, I do, I mean. <laughs> and the selfishness is revealed. And so uh, Solomon takes the baby and gives it to the real mother. And, and so that's one of the first stories. And, and his wisdom, we're gonna see so many things that resulted. But what is wisdom? Well, wisdom is this. It's seeing the world and life the same way God does. Now, when you look up the word wisdom in, 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 in some definitions, you'll find it say, uh, talking about the word that was used in the Old Testament for wisdom, it'll say skillful in living and things like that. And that's true, but I think that misses the idea that underneath this ability to live life skillfully, is that you're seeing the world the way it really is. You're seeing it accurately. You're seeing it the same way God does because the way God sees it is always the right way, isn't it? He sees it perfectly, he sees it clearly. So the more, clear, the more closely our thinking and understanding lines up with what God sees and knows, the wiser we become. We understand life, we understand how it works, we see the principles, we, we get it more and more and more. And so Solomon, had this great wisdom. And let's, let's take a look at this. First uh, Kings chapter four. First Kings chapter four, and that's gonna be page 390 in the uh, Bibles that are in the chairs there. And as always, we encourage you to follow along. This is the word of God, and following along will make it much easier for you to uh, understand the things that we're talking about. So grab that Bible there in the chair if you don't have one and turn to page 390. First Kings chapter four, let's start in verse 29. It says, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart 
like the sand on the seashore. So it's not just knowledge, but it's also understanding, right? Have you ever known anybody who had so much knowledge but didn't have a clue when it came to common sense? Well, Solomon wasn't like that. He had tremendous knowledge and wisdom and the ability to understand what was going on, just as we saw with those two women. He had the ability to understand what was going on here. Someone's being very selfish. Let's reveal the selfishness, okay? And, and uh, so, God, excuse me, God did it. And not only that, he gave them heart, largeness of heart. Solomon genuinely cared about these things and, and why they mattered. It wasn't just an intellectual pursuit for him. All right, so God did this. Verse 30, thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. And by the way, that was normally the way it was thought. The, the, uh, where did the wise men in the Christmas story come from? The East, that's right. So they were known in this area too, just they had a lot of wisdom, they had a lot of wisdom writings, okay? So he uh, was wiser than them and he was wiser than the wise men of Egypt. Verse 31, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman, Chalcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. So apparently there were certain men that were just known to be very, very wise men. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. So uh, a lot of those proverbs, God saw to it that it ends up in our Bible, okay? And those are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and two of his songs and made it into the book of Psalms. Verse 33, and he also he spoke of trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things and of fish. So Solomon even had knowledge and understanding of how the natural world worked. He was sort of a, a scientist in some way in his day, okay? He knew and understood those things. So he has this broad understanding, broad knowledge and wisdom and a heart and all of this from God. Now, because of this, because God had given him this, we see that Solomon uh, becomes uh, very wealthy, he becomes very powerful, and he uh, becomes very famous, all right? And, um, let me show you his kingdom, what happened with his kingdom, okay? So go ahead and put up the Middle East map there, if you would. All right, so here's the Middle East, generally consider all of this area in here. And modern day Israel is right here, okay? It's about that size. Um, and let me, go ahead to the next slide. This is Solomon's kingdom. This is the area that Solomon had sway over. Now, he didn't necessarily have the rulers. Some of these places still had their own king's rulers, but what they did is they, they considered themselves uh, under tribute to him. In other words, they acknowledged his sovereignty over them and probably paid taxes to him. So Solomon's uh, kingdom, power, fame has spread very wide uh, because of God's working in his life. Uh, and now let's, let's talk about his money. His wealth was almost immeasurable. Now, Keep your a marker here, put a marker in your Bible here or a bookmark on your, your phone Bible or whatever and go over to 2 Chronicles. It's a couple books after this, after 1 Kings. 2 Chronicles chapter nine, it's page 502 in the Bible that's there in the chairs, page 502. Solomon's wealth was just immense. 2 Chronicles chapter nine and verse 13 says, the weight of gold 
that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. And this has been money that would have been coming to him from these other places and other kingdoms, as well as maybe uh, taxes from his own uh, country. Um, but a talent is about 75 pounds. And so when you figure out, you know, what's gold, about $1,100, $1,200 an ounce, something like that. Uh, Solomon was getting in over a billion dollars a year in revenue, okay? Uh, which is, is a lot. Um, some people, as they, they look through and see how much uh, money the Bible talks about was coming to him, may think that his, his uh, worth was almost a trillion dollars, okay? So just very, very wealthy, very, very powerful. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, look at verse number 20. By the way, Solomon starts to make everything out of gold. He, he makes shields out of gold. He, he has an ivory throne which he has covered with gold. And then all of the cups that he drinks out of are now gold. Uh, verse 20, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Now look at this, not one was silver, for this was accounted as nothing in the days of Solomon. Silver, what's silver? In fact, look over in verse 27. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, okay? So in other words, there was so much gold that silver was irrelevant. So uh, uh, we can see how wealthy he was. And he became famous around the world. Look up in, uh, there in chapter nine, verse 22. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom and all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And so this wisdom that God has given him is so special, so unique, it becomes so well known that people from all over the world want to come and sit and talk with him and listen to him and learn from him. All right, so what God has done in his life is a huge, huge thing. Now, one of the people uh, that came to see him, we know the story because it's in our Bible, and that is the Queen of Sheba. Okay, you heard of the Queen of Sheba? Have you? Okay. Well, where in the world is Sheba? Well, uh, most Bible scholars have concluded that Sheba is the same as, go ahead and put that up if you would, the land of Ethiopia. Okay? So right down here on the Horn of Africa, is where this queen came from. And she came to visit him. And it's possible she crossed over by boat and came this way or went. It's possible she went a boat or this way. But the idea is she went over 2,000 miles to hear what King Solomon had to say. So let's read this story. Go to the beginning of chapter 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... She came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard questions. So let's just stop right there. We're going to see that as we read on that, that she was somewhat skeptical. I, she wasn't, you know, didn't know if she really believes what uh, she's been hearing about Solomon, but she's also bringing serious questions. These are big questions for her, okay? And so she brings them to him. So to test Solomon with hard questions having a very great retinue, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance and precious stones. So she travels all these miles with, with all of her wealth and uh, power and comes before King Solomon. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. That's what tells me that these issues 
Even though she's skeptical of him and she wants to test him and challenge him, there are things going on in her heart that she's looking for answers to. Verse two, so Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cup barrels and their apparel, and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. There's no more fight in her. There was no more skeptic in her, all right? That all melted away. Verse five, then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe them, their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. So she had heard amazing things, and when she got there, it was even more amazing than she had heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants, who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. So she is impressed, isn't she? Well, well, where did all this come from in Solomon's life? Now we know that we've seen that God gave him the wisdom, but what's, what's the origin of all this? Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter three. Go back to that chapter we were in before. Again, that's page 302. No, page 390, sorry about that. Page 390. 1 Kings chapter three. Maybe it's the page before that one. But let's start in, um, well, why say that? So Solomon has become king and there's a ceremony that's going on and they're worshiping God at this point in time and they went to the place where the tabernacle was at this point in time and were worshiping God there. And, and then God appears to Solomon in a dream. So let's read here, verse five. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said, ask, what shall I give you? That's a cool thing. Would you like it if God showed up and said, hey, just go ahead and ask me, what do you want? Right? Wow, that's a pretty big offer, isn't it? Well, this is the offer that Solomon was faced with. He's becoming the king. God says, anything you want, just ask. I will give it to you. Verse six, and Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant, talking about himself, your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. He doesn't literally mean he's a little child. What's he mean? I feel like a kid here. I don't know how to do what I need to do. I, I, you know, even things like going, how do I do this, God? Verse eight, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? <clears throat> this is the origin of all that we see 
about Solomon. Now think about this. Solomon can ask for anything he wants. And his focus, first we see his humility here, right? God gives grace to the humble. He's humble before God, realizing his inadequacy. But what he is focused on is doing faithfully what God has given him to do. Can you see that? God has made him king. The king should be taking and leading the people, taking care of the people, watching over them for their well-being. And if you look in there, he keeps saying, you've done this, Lord, you've done this. It's your people and you've chosen them and you this and I need to do, I don't know how to do this. I need your help. But what we see is that Solomon's deepest desire is to honor God and to accomplish what God has given him to do, to accomplish God's purposes. That's at the heart of everything else that we read that's a good description of Solomon. And so what we see here is that Solomon had what the Bible would call the fear of the Lord. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, what it means is that, wow, he is first over everything. He has that top place in my life. When, when I fear the Lord, when you fear the Lord, that's what we're saying. He is more important to me than anything else. Now, here's a challenge for you today. Uh, just just think, put this in the back of your mind. Did you live this week consistently like God is absolutely most important in your life? My guess is that most of us from time to time didn't live that way. But we see Solomon living there, fearing the Lord. And what does, when we do this, and when Solomon did it, we see a proverb that Solomon wrote about this. Uh, in Proverbs chapter nine and verse 10, it says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy, knowing God is understanding. You see, this is where Solomon put himself. He feared the Lord, God, you're first. Nothing else matters to me but accomplishing what you have given me to do. And I wanna do it in a way that accomplishes your purposes. Do you see the heart of Solomon? Right? That is a crucial heart for us to have. And here's what it would look like in our lives, that, that we look at what God has given us to do. And, and I've said it repeatedly to you, and I'll say it again. If you start looking at your life and realize, wait a minute, this, this part of my life isn't something that God has given me to do. It isn't really something the Lord has. Then do well with it. Work it out and get rid of it. Doesn't belong there. But you start looking at your life and say, okay, what has God given me to do? And you start thinking, wait, God is the one who's given me to do this, right? It is God who's given to me. And God, I want to honor you. And I, and I don't really know how to do this. I mean, I know some things, but I just, there's lots of things I don't know. There's things I don't understand. God, I, I need you to work in my life. I need you to be strong in my life so that I can accomplish what you've given me to do in a way that honors you, in a way that actually does what needs to be done. That's what this would look like for us. Same thing that, that Solomon was doing. It's about putting the Lord first in your life. I mean, he really is first in your life, but we don't always live like it. But so I say putting him first, I mean, you acknowledge it. And, and you set your heart on that. And understand this, that putting the Lord first in your life profoundly changes your life. It always does. When you say, okay, God, you are first before anything else, it will bring profound changes into your life. It brought profound changes into Solomon's life. We've seen it. So let's, let's look a little more here. 
First Kings chapter three. We stopped reading verse nine. He, he finishes his prayer. God, this is what I, I need from you. You come first. He's fearing the Lord. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies. There's lots of things you could have asked for Solomon, but you didn't. But you have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. Now, now look here. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. I have given you more than you asked. Now, Proverbs chapter one, Solomon's writing, he says that prosperity destroys a foolish person. Have you ever known a, a foolish rich person? <laughs> uh, we hear stories often all the time about people who get wealth and get destroyed. Think of this, sometimes the, uh, the athletes, right? The college athletes who, who really excel and all, they sign these huge contracts and then you hear what? They're in trouble here and there. They're doing foolish things, stupid things. Why? Well, because they were foolish before they got the wealth. They hadn't settled this issue of who was Lord of their lives. And so, <clears throat> entrusting riches to someone who isn't in a right relationship with God, they're gonna make a mess of it. But God says, because your heart is right, because you have settled what is most important, and because I've given you wisdom, you can handle the wealth. You can handle the power. You can handle the fame. I'm giving you more than you ask for. And so that's what we've been reading about all of these things. Well, why did God do that? Why did God give him more than he asked? Why not just leave with the wisdom? That was an awesome request. God could have done it. But God gave him more. Why? Well, let's... Uh, Let's go to, uh, back to 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and, and revisit the Queen of Sheba. We said that she had questions, obviously, in her heart and things that she wanted to know. Let's, let's go back and start in verse 5 again. 2 Chronicles 9, verse 5, page 502. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Now get this. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you setting you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Six times in that one verse, she references God. Why? Because of what she has seen in Solomon. 
what she has seen and heard. Do you think she knew people who had wealth? Yeah, she had wealth. I'm sure she knew people who had wealth. But with Solomon, it was different. She'd met famous people, but when she met Solomon, something was different. She met powerful people, but something with Solomon was different. And that difference was the Lord. The difference was Solomon being surrendered completely to the Lord. And, and then God able to work in and through his life. You know, when, when you, as I talked earlier, I said, you know, when you really put God first in your life, it profoundly changes you. What it does, it puts you in a position for God to work in your life in a way that he could not otherwise work. You, you put in a position for God to work in you and then explode out through you to the world around you. And that's what happened with Solomon. And who got the credit? The Lord did. It was just somehow evident. It was like what was going on in, in, in Solomon's life was God's John Hancock. You see that? When she looked, she could see the signature of God on Solomon's life. Well, this is what God wants to do in our lives. This is what he wants us to do in our lives. He, he wants us to do the same thing Solomon did, to humble ourselves before him and say, God, you are God. I am not God. You are God. This is your, your calling. It is your purposes. You have given me these things to do, and I want to do them in a way that honors you, and I want to do it in a way, because I can't do it on my own. I need your strength to do it. I need your wisdom. I, I, God, I want you to work in my life, and I am consumed with all I want to accomplish is what God has given me to do. Nothing else ultimately matters. But that's true in your life. Do you understand that? Accomplishing what God has given you to do in your life is ultimately the only thing that matters. And some of the things he's given you to do include interacting with other people. So we aren't saying it about a selfish thing here. But this is what matters more than anything else. And when we settle that, when we settle, okay, God, you are first above all and, you know, Help me work on this. Help me get better at it. But I want to honor you here in my life by yielding myself to your rightful place. And, and I'm going to make decisions in my life consistent with this. And you begin to live this way. Then God can entrust you with more. If he chooses, he can entrust you with what he entrusted Solomon with. He can choose to entrust you with uh, not only wisdom, but with wealth and power and fame. He can do that. And why? Because he has the confidence. He knows what? That you will do what's right with it. That you will use it for his purposes, for his honor, for his glory. He knows that, that what he's doing in and through your life will be his signature, God's signature on your life. That's what he wants to do. He wants you to live in such a way where he can sign off on it. You know, I'll put my name on this. This is me. He can entrust us with that. But you know what? He can also entrust us with suffering. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I, 
I don't know if I want to be entrusted with suffering, right? Well, no, no, here's the thing. If I have genuinely come to the place in my life where I say, okay, God, all I want to do is I want to accomplish your purposes. I'm not interested in accomplishing anything else. I only want to do what you want me to do. I want to do it in a way that shows that you're real and that your word is true. I want to honor you in this. I don't, whatever that means, you've already settled that whatever it means is okay. You've already settled it. If God brings suffering, he brings suffering. Doesn't matter to you because what, what do you want to do? Spend your life avoiding suffering? I like to avoid suffering, but if God puts it in my life, I gotta say this is from God. He can entrust suffering to me. And you know, some of the most amazing testimonies for the reality of God have come out of the lives of people who have suffered deeply. See God's signature on their lives. Think about this. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, it says, and when they had beaten them, or they were in trouble for preaching, and when they had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed doing what? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What explains that? The apostle Paul and his companion Silas Beaten and thrown in jail, Acts chapter 16. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the Bible tells us some more stuff happened here but it says the jailer as a result of all this brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? In the middle of their terrible suffering, this man is drawn to God. Why? Because he can see God's signature on their lives. He can see the signature on their lives. And you, you understand that, that God can also entrust us, you know, we, all the good stuff we think, all the wealth, he can entrust us with suffering, but he can also entrust us with an ordinary life. What for all purposes seems like an ordinary life, you know, nothing special about me, but here's the thing. When you say to God, and me, okay, God, I'm selling this. You come first. Just all the things that I talked about, I won't repeat it. In this ordinary life, I'm going to seek you, know you, honor you, glorify you. That ordinary life becomes extraordinary. Because as you seek to honor God in it, he will work. He will use it. He will be honored and glorified in it. And in that ordinary life that now has somehow rather become an extraordinary life, the signature of God will be on that life. Do you want this kind of life? Do you want a life where God says, yeah, this life is about me, his life, her life. Do you want that? First of all, you can't have it unless you receive Christ as Savior. First place comes with recognizing you sinned against the holy God, we, which we all have, and that Jesus died to pay the penalty for those sins and rose again. And by faith, we say, okay, God, I, I'm coming to you above all this, nothing else. I can't fix it any other way. Only you, what you did for me through Jesus. And let us help you with that. If that's where you're at, please let us know. We want to help you to make that decision. But as a, once you've made that decision, the only way you can experience this is to settle that question. Is God first in your life? Does he come before everything else in your life? 
Is, are you confident that everything in your life that you're doing is only what God wants you to do? Or you look at your life and say, yeah, you know what, I can see there's things that need to change. Well, I want to challenge you today is to settle the first question there. So let's bow our heads here. What I want you to do is just consider, I'm going to give you a little bit of time here just to ponder where you're at with the Lord. I want to give you the opportunity here just to take a little time and to do what Solomon did and to say, oh God, you are God. I need you. I want you to work in my life. I want to accomplish your purposes and glorify you. Nothing else matters to me anymore. Take a little bit of time and have that conversation with the Lord if you need to. If you're already living that way, praise the Lord. Ask him to confirm it and to continue to sharpen you in it. Father, I pray that uh, many here today have, either for the first time or again, opened their hearts and their lives up to you and said, nothing else matters anymore but you and what you want to do in my life, what you've called me to do. Change us, Father, to live lives that will proudly, openly, bear your signature that you would be known through us as we live life the way you intended and I do pray Father for anyone here today who has not settled the issue of a relationship with you by receiving Christ as Savior that they'd open their heart to you on that and especially Father they would reach out to us and let us help them Thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to honor you, to glorify you. And we can't do it without your working in our lives as you've promised to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, please, if you know you find yourself with a, a decision, either a decision to trust Christ and you say, I need to do that, you don't know how to do it, please talk to us. Or if you think you have, we'd like to help you. You need help with that. You're going to need help with it. And it may be that you make this commitment in your life that there are going to, things are going to come up in your life now that you say, wow, how do I deal with this now? Because let's, let's help you, okay? All right, God bless you. You're dismissed.